This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Dan on from PwC, and our topic today is how tech is empowering HR leaders doing the great resignation. So we're going to jump right into it. Dan, thank you for being on the show. Would you introduce both yourself and uh, what you do for PwC? Absolutely, William. Thank you for having me. So my name is Dan Staley. I'm a principal with PwC, and I lead HR technology for our U.S. firm and have been focused in the area of HR tech and HR transformation for just coming up on about 30 years. And one of the fun things I get to do in, in my role is sponsor our biannual HR tech survey, which is what we're here to talk about today. So among helping clients assess and implement HR tech software, and this is one of the other parts of my job, which is to look at some of the trends in the HR tech space. I love that. Well, I, I love surveys in general, and I love research, especially primary research like, like uh, y'all do. You, there's always kind of something that shocks you when you when you get the data back, when you get the results back, and you're looking through it, and you're like, hmm, what? How does this happen? And then some of it, you know, validates things that you already kind of thought. When you when you looked at the, the data for the first time, what were some of the findings that, that kind of stuck out with you? One of the biggest was around remote work and organizations really trying to understand productivity in the remote setting. And that, that stat jumped out at me. We had, we found was about 95% of HR leaders were either planning to use technology or already using technology to really assess productivity in the remote setting. And I think some of that, first of all, the number was much higher than I, I thought it would be. Uh, it was like 37% had already implemented and 22% had a plan in place, but had not put it into, into practice yet. And 35% were considering. So that was a large number to me. And, you know, since that time, I've done a little bit more analysis just to understand, you know, what's being done and, and, and why that's, and why that's being done. But that, that ju- certainly jumped out at me uh, as one area. And productivity, um, I've seen that at least in, in, in some articles as kind of fear-based, like, are, are they working hard enough? You know, is it, is it, (laughs) especially at the early in the pandemic, I would say it was, are they, you know, oh my goodness, everyone's working from home. I can't see them. They're not here. Are they working? Are they working hard enough? And then some of that kind of wax and wane, right? So some of that kind of went away, but with, with people still remote, there's still kind of an anxiety around remote. Are you seeing some of the same things? I think that's exactly right. And I, I, William, I listened to the, I think it was the previous podcast earlier in the month around uh, mental health. And I think that definitely comes into play here a little bit on what I think some of our clients are trying to understand, which is, 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 you know, the engagement and the, and the well-being of the workforce. So we've done prior surveys where, 
the feedback of working remote has been deemed you know, largely, I, I think, a success. I, I believe the statistic we had found was, you know, 80 plus percent of organizations felt like, uh, you know, the workforce was embracing it. It was a positive, seen as a, as a positive thing. But I do also acknowledge that organizations feel like people aren't quite as productive. And some of that has to do with, you know, collaborating. But I think where these tracking seems like very big brother, but I, I think the, the thought is it's less about, you know, when did I log on? When did I log off? Are people being productive? How many meetings are you going to? Am I getting my money's worth, if you will? But I think where we've talked to some clients, it's really more about understanding well-being and, and engagement and are we using collaboration tools and are people teaming and working together? And that can inform an organization strategy around when, you know, how to come back to the office, when to come back and collaborate in the office, when to allow travel for teams to get together, because some of our clients aren't are not traveling at all. And, and right. so, you know, their teams aren't getting together. And so we there was one client example, and I'll say this is just kind of what I think is is very is very powerful. They were really trying to understand um, not only employee sentiment, but how many meetings people were going to, when were the meetings being scheduled in relation to the day? So are we getting lots of last minute meetings that you can't plan for? And that can lead to, you know, anxiety and stress. And, and uh, so I think that's, that's an interesting way to use the data to inform those sorts of things. When remote doesn't work from your perspective, is it, uh, you know, is it tools? Is it tools and technology? Is it process? Is it, is it leadership and communication? Like, whoa, you know, it's, it, you know, as you said, it's, it's largely working. Productivity is working. We still might have anxiety about it, but <laughs> that's different. Uh, but largely it's working. We're, in the instances where it's not working, why do you, why do you think that is? Well, I think, you know, I can only probably speak a little bit from personal experiences where I think in the remote setting, there is, I think when the when the pandemic first hit and we everyone kind of went remote, I felt like there was probably a good bit, still a good bit of free time because you were, at least in my case, I was used to being at client sites, on planes, et cetera. Um, but then I think they're, they're, you know, pretty quickly people kind of snapped into this idea was that if I'm not talking to you, if you're not in a meeting, um, then you're not really being productive. And then soon after, I think most people's days were filled with, you know, nonstop meetings, you know, 15, we, we even said, let's, let's, you know, shorten meetings, like trying to have meetings that are an hour. And all of a sudden you had a lot of 15 minute and 30 minute meetings, which actually I think made things worse. So I, I would say that it, at least in my experience, I think the remote setting, there's got to be that balance of you, you still have to have that opportunity to work and you have to have that free time on your schedule uh, to think, to create, uh, but you also have to have that balance of, I think, working with other people, um, you know, in that in that regard. Um, you know, I, 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 that's how I would, I think, answer that, William, is that uh, I think you've got to really try to strike that balance that we had, you know, before and working remotely um, is not, a, you know, a lot different uh, from, that, from those same goals. And I, and I would tell the clients, too, when looking at, you know, managing productivity, I would say if you're a recruiter, and you're working remotely now, um, you should be measured on the same things that you had before. I mean, um, sourcing candidates, you know, getting interviews, getting people converted to hires, getting quality hires, and that should be the same metrics, not, 
not when you log on or right. how many meetings you're doing because people will game that and and that's really not productive. Yeah, we get out of the how of of how something gets done and we get to the outputs. Right. <clears throat> more more outcomes based, which is probably where we should have been with a lot of these things anyhow. Um, and, and you get out of the minutia of, you know, micromanagement and, uh, getting into the how, um, with the great resignation, what, what did your, what did your survey, what did it tell you? What, 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 what did you learn about the great resignation? Well, certainly, you know, we looked at it from an HR tech perspective and what, and what organizations can do. And I think, you know, partly what we looked at is what is phone HR tech landscape? What can HR leaders do to help help people feel more engaged or help, um, you know, really help people, I guess, have that stickiness with the organization. And, and I think one of their topics that we, we explored was around tech adoption. And, you know, what we were finding oftentimes is, you know, organizations are rolling out, let's say, these capabilities and some of these things are important to um, to the workforce and will help them stay. So examples may be the things we do around talent. When when people leave, they, they often will leave because they want better skills. They want the ability to be upskilled. And so if an organization is rolling out, say, a new learning management program uh, to help people upskill, how often is it really being adopted? What are the incentives? How do they communicate it and build excitement around it? Now, we see that around the talent space. A lot of times when we roll out new cloud software, you know, of course, I'm gonna, going to use, say, the benefits administration capability because I need to enroll in benefits or I have a life event or, of course, I'm going to go get my paycheck stub. So that, that I'm going to be using probably regardless because I need to. But what about in the case of talent where you know, it's really more optional. I mean, you want to incent your workforce to go and enter their skills. Uh, you want to incent them to enter careers of interest uh, so that they can be found for opportunities or you want them to peruse the, you know, recruiting site to see what internal postings are there. So if, if I'm somebody and I want, you know, I want to gain a new skill or I want to have a new role, um, you know, you'd probably rather have me look internally in the organization than look externally. And so a lot of the HR tech software can help with this, but we're not seeing the adoption. And that was one of the other things that really stood out was, you know, clients really using using some of the, you know, the, the opportunities that they had. So we studied that specifically and, you know, whether it was, you know, communicating better training on the software, allowing mobile access, incentives, gamification, et cetera. We found all these techniques really were, you know, pretty effective. I mean, all of them were probably, you know, close to 80% or better in terms of rating the effectiveness, but the adoption, you know, only half organizations really used those sorts of things. So about half, you know, 51% deployed mobile or, you know, offering incentives for usage. It was 45% gamifying, some of the applications, which we found to be very effective, only 25% of organizations have tried that. So I think we, you know, we walk away and really coach our clients to get more creative to drive the usage of the applications that they roll out, especially you know, in, the, in the remote setting, uh, because you've, you, you probably don't have as much high touch as you used to. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> and you don't have the classroom environment if you do it that way. Uh, people aren't sitting next to you. It's 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 harder to train in 
kind of the historical way that we've thought about training. But it's always it's always been fascinating to me to that you know a company will spend you know tens of millions of dollars on on great HR tech and then not you know for whatever reason and there's many uh, then spend money on getting people to actually use the software that they've invested in. Um, uh, it's just you know from a user adoption, user satisfaction, just getting usage consumption adoption. Uh, there's many ways to do that. Uh, training is, you know, definitely a lever, and you've mentioned uh, a bunch of the others. Um, during this period, if we break up some of the the, the parts of HR tech, uh, communication, collaboration, learning, etc., like where do you think that you know if if, if an HR literally is listening to this podcast, they're saying, I need to stem the tide of resignations. I need to actually work on retention. Where where's their biggest bang for their buck? Like where should they focus first? Because they focus on all of it. I get that. But if you were to walking, you know, one of your you know prospects or clients through this, how would you say, hey, listen, you've got you've got this wonderful, you know, suite of, of applications. Let's let's start here so that it'll help you with retention. William, I think you hit it on the head that oftentimes success is declared at go live and and there really is not this focus on, on let's make sure that we have the adoption. So I do think adoption has to be focused on in the very beginning to have you know a strategy around the promotion and marketing of it and in that continued monitoring of who's using it, who's not. Um, you know, specifically, I think to your question of where's the biggest bang for the buck, where do you start? I, I do think in what is a trend we're seeing where I think HR tech is helping more so than it used to be is in employee sentiment. You know, I think we both would probably agree that uh, an annual employee survey is one of the things that, you know, we all probably grew up doing. And we're seeing organizations do that much more frequently now where you get that kind of sentiment. I mean, at least quarterly, oftentimes it's monthly. I've seen, you know, clients that have got the software where it's almost like when you leave the airport bathroom and you have right. a little panel where it's like the, you know, yellow, green, red, smiley face on the cleanliness. One of those sorts of things where, you know, each day you can, if, if your workforce is willing to contribute, you know, how are you feeling today and what can we do better? So I think just keeping your hands on the pulse of the workforce by asking what's important is I think really important because we are seeing that um, you know, workers do want to upskill, for example, um, and they do feel like organizations should play a, a leading role in helping them upskill. And so that, I think that, that, that tells kind of the organization, okay, we've got to have some, you know, let's look at our LMS. We've our learning programs. We, it can't really just be a compliance application. We need to have a way for people to assess where they are in their learning journey, the roles they aspire to, what are the skills they need to develop, and then proactively serve up content for them to continue, you know, to increase their, you know, their engagement in the organization, their ability to kind of learn and grow within the organization. So I mean, if you were to ask me, Daniel, where should a CHRO focus? I, I would certainly put it in in those talent areas. I think those do have the biggest bang for the buck around uh, whether it's you know learning and and talent profile and 
employee development and career development. I mean, those are the areas that I think really can kind of move the needle and make a bigger difference to employees more so than some of those transactional elements of an HR, HRAS. Right, right. Sure, William, if that answers the question. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what the interesting uh, part of it is both of them, if we take his sentiment and skills, we push them uh, forward, both of them in a remote environment, both of them show the employee that you care. Right. Right. Like if you're, if you're, again, if you're doing anything monthly, quarterly, daily, however you're doing it, you, you're, you're getting a sentiment, which should ease your anxiety. You know, if you're a leader, uh, because now, you know, there's, you know, if you actually are, you have data. Uh, so you know what's going on and how people feel. And with skills, there's nothing better than actually reaching out to people and saying, what do you want to learn? You know, we, we care about you. What would you like to learn? And in a remote environment, I can't help but think that that, that helps the stickiness of, of, of one thinking about staying rather than going somewhere else. I think that does. And that's where I do think some of the creative adoption techniques come into play where you can really incent and gamify the adoption in some areas that really do help the individual. So much like in the recruiting landscape, you know, many organizations are will you know, pay for referrals, and mm-hmm. that's and you see that's generally pretty effective means to get your friends and others you know to come work there. And and I think there's certainly evidence that you tend to stay where your friends are and people you like to work with. I think the same can be true as we try to incent people who, um, you know, they typically are leaving oftentimes for more money. Yes, but they're oftentimes leaving because they can get kind of better skills, they see better upward mobility, or they have access to do more things. So why not send people to say, you get points when you update your skills, or you get points when you put in a careers of interest, or you get points when you do, you know, upskilling. And then based on these points, you know, not only is it some competitive fun, but you can do some creative things with that, or maybe it's more vacation. Maybe it is sort of a bonus. Maybe it opens up additional training opportunities or, you know, um, where you can go to university and take a course that yeah, obviously has, um, you know, costs a little bit more, but it does allow people to really kind of continue to build those skills. So that's, that's, I think what we're saying as well, right. Which is let's, let's really get kind of incent people to do that until they build that muscle memory where they're starting to see, Oh, when I, when I add skills and I add careers of interest, I get added to talent pools I get added to succession plans and I can see where I'm being now considered and proactively reached out to when opportunities arise in the organization. And then you don't need the points as much anymore um, because right. now you're starting to see that it's helping your career growth. Yeah. Yeah. It's in their best interest. And, and, and again, any, any hour that they spend or any time that they spend building out that profile, updating that profile is, a, is time that they're not spending on Indeed or LinkedIn or something else like that looking for a job. That's so right. uh, anything you can do to kind of just make the mindset of, hey, s- stay here and invest here and we'll invest in you. There is a co-investment. We'll invest in you. And again, that is a, some of that comes down to trust and some other things. Um, I love the idea of starting with sentiment and skills and again, giving CHROs the advice of, okay, listen, if you, you know, if it's the roadmap, you, you can't do it all at once. We, we get that. Where would you go next? Where would you go after that? If, if, if we if they've, if they're doing really well with sentiment 
and they're really doing well with skills. And okay, they've got those two areas. Let's say they've got them covered and they're doing well with them. What would they be the next area that we would attack? Well, I think, you know, once you have some of that, if you're doing well in the talent area, in which I think is the area that matters most to the, to the employees, then I, I do think you can, you know, focus on really being automated and efficient and really driving that user experience. I mean, what, what we've seen uh, with the cloud, and, and that's one of the big focus areas, obviously, with HR tech these days is really a, you know, an end survey is assessing the effectiveness of, of the cloud, which has delivered, you know, I think largely on its on its promises. And we do have that in the survey where we we, we show that, you know, typically they've got, you know, HR gets greater control, better data security, um, you know, more managers have access to self-service and, and employees that generally the user experience is better. So you know, certainly that is a, that is a focus. And I think when we're talking about talent, I think the assumption would be if clients are investing in that area, they probably are doing that with some of the cloud and, and, you know, software as a service providers that, that are out there. So, um, you know, my, my, advice to CHRO is once you've kind of focused on, on talent, then certainly look at the other areas and make sure that you are um, as efficient as you can be from a department perspective. I mean, to, to that end, one of the things that we did look at was just this concept of when you're on cloud HR, how likely are you to, to replatform? Um, it, when your subscription is up, and that was probably another alarming stat that I saw was was you know thirty six percent, or let's call it, you know close to forty percent of organizations said they were going to switch vendors at the end of their subscription term. Wow. And uh, that was you know large to me, and that wasn't we asked specifically about core HR, so that's more right. than the, say toe in the water. What is it? And so what's I the driver think, of that? I mean, is that just unsatisfied, uh, dissatisfied folks, or is I think it? That's, yeah, I, I grass think is greener elsewhere. Like, what? What is that? I think it's probably could be a couple things. I, I think I broke them into probably two categories of what perhaps could have been avoidable and, and maybe what is you know un, unavoidable, if you will. I, I certainly think the right reasons for doing that could be you, you know, you've had a pretty change to your business, uh, perhaps through acquisition, perhaps through you know expanding your business into a different region, and and maybe you've outgrown. Uh, the application that, that yeah. you once thought was going to meet your needs, but now it's not. Uh, that that could be a reason that makes sense. I think the other certainly could be HR, as you you well know, is a first mover in the cloud space. Um, and, and you know, as time has followed, perhaps finance and supply chain organizations are also moving to the cloud, and perhaps you have the opportunity to use a consolidated vendor enterprise wide. And maybe that makes sense just from a maintenance or a cost perspective that you might kind of move off one vendor. You know, those are a couple of the reasons that maybe that that could make sense. I, th- I think the reasons that are we, we are probably agree are avoidable is maybe not spending enough time upfront evaluating what you need uh, when you pick the vendor. Mm-hmm. Uh, another would be a could be a poor implementation where you've just really not maximized the software and instead of admitting that perhaps, you know, the implementation wasn't what it should be, there's this kind of grass is greener mentality. We're like, we'll try again with this other vendor and see if it's, you know, see if it goes any better. Uh, so I think that's what is, we obviously want to avoid. If you ever, if you're ever bored and you dig into the statistics of uh, second marriages, 
uh, you know, with the divorce rate, it's higher than, than first marriages. And uh, some people think that the reason for that is you bring a lot of your baggage from your first marriage <laughs> into yeah, your second right. marriage. Now, now we're talking about HR technology and it's like, okay, if we, if we didn't do a great job with user adoption and training and getting people to consume and adopt and all that stuff, and we we're going to switch technology. Like it's not magically people aren't going to sort of magically, you know, uh, then want to use new software. Like software doesn't necessarily fix that. You you've actually got to fix the mindset and put budget and, you know, put, put your organizational development people to team, communications people at work. So. I think that's right. And it just like assessing kind of a good marriage is understanding what's important Yep. Uh, when you're picking that that partner, and I think the same is true with with choosing software. That oftentimes people are focused on just the functionality, and and the functionality can be, you know, obviously thousands of requirements, and they're focusing on all of them perhaps equally. And really, right. it's kind of narrowing down on what are the critical few requirements that are really important to your culture, your organization, the way you do things. And certainly that's from a functionality perspective, what you want to focus on. But there are so many other factors that we advise our clients to look at from you know the user experience to the cost and the ROI to how well it integrates with finance supply chain to the tech stack and the tools to client satisfaction and support you're going to get to the, the industry, you know, the market share in the industry and the industry focus of the vendor, uh, perhaps what's on the roadmap, R&D you know, culture alignment, um, the partner ecosystem, you know, that's, that's important too, which is you've got to, you know, people are hard to find now and, and, uh, you know, do you have enough, you know, are there enough partners that focus on this software where you feel like you could not only hire, but also get good implementation help. So, you know, those are all factors where I think just a lot of those aren't even looked at in a selection. I think then you could quote unquote rush into a marriage Oh, yeah. uh, with just not look really evaluating everything. Well, we see we see it every day. Um, Dan, this was wonderful. Thank you so much. I know you're super super busy, and I just appreciate you carving out time for the podcast. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely, and thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.